Hi, Avril here from Access Credit Union. We are delighted to once again sponsor the Star Sports Podcast. As part of our range of new business loans, we now offer Cultivate Farm Finance, the farmer-friendly loan package. With a Cultivate loan, farmers in West Cork can benefit from the local decision-making and personal service offered by Access Credit Union. To find out more, go to accesscu.ie forward slash cultivate, call me on 085 268 2727 or 028 21883, where a member of our team will be happy to help you with your inquiry. Close your eyes and pull like down. <laughs> and a new Irish record for Phil Healy, 22.99. Christy Cooney hands over the Sam McGuire Cup to Graham Canty, Cork All-Ireland Champions for the seventh time ever. Hello and welcome to the Star Sport Podcast. My name is Jack McCarran of the Southern Star and I'm joined on this week's show by author and journalist Ger McCarthy. Before we kick things off, I'd just like to give a gentle reminder to our listeners and viewers to please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and YouTube. The Star Sport Podcast is brought to you in association with our friends at Access Credit Union. Access Credit Union, where your bank really does matter. Choose the credit union, choose local, choose community. The Munster Senior Football Championship clash between Cork and Kerry is the focus of this week's podcast. And in a few moments, we'll be joined by Fintan O'Toole of the 42.ie to preview Saturday's game at Parky Rim. We're also going to be looking back at the Beamish Cup final, which saw Lyre Rovers overcome local rivals Clonakilty in an enthralling game at Skibbereen on Sunday. But Jur, before we jump into the Cork and Kerry game, I want to take this opportunity to quickly chat to you about your recently released book, The Cork LGFA Game of My Life. Firstly, congratulations. It must have been a relief to finally get a physical copy into your hands. It was indeed, uh, Jack, and thank you very much. Um, it was a lockdown project and something I was, uh, for the first time in my life, I had the beautiful commodity of time to actually, there was no matches, there was no weekend trips or anything like that, so I had time to, to get stuck in, and I owe a huge debt uh, of gratitude to uh, Liam Hayes of Hero Books, the publishers, because uh, the genre game of my life, which is when uh, an author interviews 25 or 30 uh, individuals from a different county to talk, be they football or, or hurling, um, the, and each of the players talks about the game that changed their lives, but also a lot of other things as well. Um, it was something I was very interested in. Uh, it was something that uh, I, I hadn't written a book in 13 years. It's my second book, but I swore blind I'd never write one again after the first one because it took so much time and effort. And uh, I'm glad that I did, Jack. I'm glad that it's out now and I'm delighted to get my hands on it. And even happier that on the night of the launch at the Celtic Ross Hotel in Ross Carberry, 10 of the players that are featured in the book uh, took the time to, to come down to Ross Carberry along with Liam Hayes, the publisher, and over 115 people as well. It was a lovely evening, um, lovely way to launch the book. And the book, of course, is available. I'll be killed if I don't say it by the publishers. The book is available at Cork LGFA Game My Life in all good bookstores uh, around the country, but also online. Um, you can buy it, buy it uh, the ebook version and the hardback version on Amazon. Great stuff, Ger. I want to stay on your book for a moment because you mentioned there the break of 13 years and how you promised yourself you'd never do it again. But just with the passing of time, did you find the process easier based on your experiences 
over the past 13 years or did you find it even more challenging because i know your first book was focused mainly on you but this time you had to tell 25 stories of 25 different players from different eras as well so to tread that all together which i've only seen snippets but it's excellent what i've seen so far so how did you find the process by comparison to the process the first time around well thank you for saying that um yeah it was much easier this time around jack uh the first book was pretty much semi-autobiographical about growing up in west cork as a young fella getting drunk with all their fellas thinking they're a big hard man and being neither of those things and also just the thread of soccer throughout your life, you know, both on television, living and growing up in the 80s in West Cork when there wasn't much going on. You know, soccer was all we had and we lived for it. This time around, you're correct. Um, I started with a list of 75 names that I might potentially interview and I broke it down to 25 um, past and present players. Every single one of them that I approached agreed to be part of the book process, which was the hardest part for me at the start. Would I get the players that I wanted to talk to? And every single one of them agreed to do it. And it was a much happier process. It was, it was a much cleaner process this time around. Obviously, COVID threw everything out in terms of timelines. It should have been out much earlier than what, what it is and what it was. But we got over that. And, and in fact, if anything, COVID, as I said, gave me the time to do it properly, to sit down and plan it. I didn't meet one player for the book, Jack. Not one. It was all done via Zoom because everybody, which was, it made it a little bit more difficult, but also it made it that bit easier and that, all the players were at home at the weekends. I wasn't interrupting any championships or, you know, build-ups or things like that. And that was important too. But look, I suppose the, the nicest thing about this book was the honesty of each of the 25 players. We do talk about in each chapter, each player gets their own chapter. We do talk about the game that changed their life because that's the genre. But we also talk about personal tragedies in the families. We talk about the influences of Schkeenish school. We talk about parents, coaches. And we also talk about Eamon Ryan quite a lot. He's a thread through it there's some really funny stories in it but there's also i think the one nice thing about this book and it, it's what i wanted to do and why i put so much time and effort into it it's not just a life story you can't tell a player's life story in the short number of pages that you have but if you're a coach if you're a player if you're a parent and if you're just a fan of sport and a fan of ladies football particularly there's a lot in this book for you it's not 25 match reports it's 25 stories from 25 individuals who are incredibly honest and open with me. And it makes for a much, much better and more interesting read. And I suppose the beauty of it, Jack, is that anyone going on holidays in the next few weeks and months, it's the kind of book I say to people, look, if you're not an avid book reader, this is still a good book to read because you pick it up, you might read one chapter and put it down again, and not read it for a while. And that's the benefit of it. We cover a lot of eras. We cover the dominant era, the Breed Stack, the Valerie Mulcahy's, the Juliet Murphy's. We also covered uh, Melissa Duggan. Orla Finn, Darren O'Sullivan. So there's a lot of current players still involved in it as well. So it, it, it probably attracts a bigger audience, hopefully that way. Um, but it was a lovely process. Um, I had time to do it properly this time around. I knew what I was doing this time around. And I had a publisher uh, who were absolutely brilliant. They helped me every step of the way. I can't I really can't say thanks to them enough. They made it an enjoyable experience. So much so, Jack, that I don't think it'll be 13 years before you see my next one. That's as much as I'm saying at the moment, though. Great stuff, Ger. Well, based on what I've seen so far, it gets a huge recommendation from me. And anyone who knows Ger will know how knowledgeable he is about Cork sport, Cork ladies football in particular. So if you're a fan of sport or a fan of ladies football from Cork or anywhere else, I would say get this book. It's an essential read for all Cork sports fans this year but Joe we're going to turn our attentions to something that may not be as positive and that's Cork's clash with Kerry in the Munster Senior Football 
Championship on Saturday evening. We're going to speak to Fintan O'Toole of the 42.ie in a moment. But before we do, Ger, I want to get your own thoughts on the game because you're writing the preview for this Thursday's Southern Star sports section. And we're not I'm not going to reveal your verdict, but I've seen your verdict. You can reveal that yourself towards the end of the podcast, maybe. But I'm feeling like you're not overly positive about Cork's chances. And I don't think that would be a surprising thing to anyone listening. But humor me for a second. Is there any way whereby you can see Cork being even competitive on Saturday? Give me the most positive outlook and then maybe we'll get more real. I think if you're being the, even the most, you're correct, even the most overly optimistic Cork football fans, and there's a few of them out there to be fair, are heading into this game accepting the fact that Kerry are the National League Division 1 champions. They are a machine. They have David Clifford who scored 528 in the National League, 522 from open play. We also know that they are probably amongst one of the big favourites for this year's All-Ireland. So they're on a different trajectory to Cork. Cork are, Cork are in transition, whether people want to admit it or not. They had 30 players used by the third league game this year. 30 by, by game three. And I suppose if I'm trying to be overly optimistic and give Cork a chance, it's not so long ago, Jack, that Kerry arrived to a wet and windy and empty Parky Cueve. And a lot of people expected some, more or less the same thing that they're saying in the build-up to this game. It's a one-horse race. It's, it's just not going to happen. And Mark Keane put pay to that. However, that now has Jack O'Connor and Kerry far more guarded, I think, coming into Parky Ring than maybe they might have been after what happened there. But from Cork's point of view, look at if you look at their league campaign, which I did in the preview, it's not pretty reading. They needed a last-minute, last-ditch effort against Offaly to stay in Division 2. But the team is in transition. They use 15 debutants, 15 debutants and 30 players before the third game tells you that there was no way you were going to have a cohesive unit similar to other Division 1 teams coming out of the league. It was just not the way it was going to be under Keith Rickin. He needed to blood players and there was going to be some pain along the way. But look at who beat them. Galway came into Cork and steamrolled them. But Galway just beat Mayo in the Connacht Championship. Derry beat Cork and beat Cork pretty handy, even though it was a decent game. Derry just put out the All-Ireland Champions out of the Ulster Championship. So are there seeds of hope or is there any realistic chance for Cork to win this? Highly unlikely that they're going to do it. People talk about the, the parking ring pitch possibly being, an issue, possibly being a factor. It's not really because anyone that knows parking ring knows it's actually a hugely wide, giant pitch. It just happens to be encased by stands that come right up to the sideline and make it look smaller than it is. So that's not a factor. Kerry, a lot of the Kerry players have played in Parker Ring before. That's not going to be a big factor. And the other big thing for me is Jack O'Connor. I think he's the ace. He's the ace in the pack for Kerry this year. He has unashamedly put out his strongest team every week as quick as often as he possibly could and told teams, come and beat us. You know, like if, if you want to see what we're going to do, this is what we're going to do. You're going to have to be better than us. They've beaten uh, Mayo twice already this year. Uh, they beat Dublin. So there's two of the possible outside, along with Tyrone, you know, potential challengers. So that just tells you how, where Kerry are. Um, it's going to be a young Cork team that takes the field. We could have at least, I think, four or five, if not more debutants on the day, depending on injuries and depending on how the rest of the week goes. Um, realistically, having lost to Kerry by 12 points in the McGrath Cup, I think it's going to be something similar. But there is no reason to be ultra negative about the Cork team. There's no reason to be completely dismissive of their chances. Every dog has their day. And as we saw not so long ago, a couple of years ago, down in Cork, a puncher's chance possibly of causing what would be the biggest upset, I think, of the championship, no matter what happens after here. But the reality is 
that that's a very, very optimistically and hopeful view uh, heading into a game which uh, Cork faced one of the strongest Kerry lineups. And I mean strong in terms of physicality. I mean, in terms of scoring ability, in terms of having the best player in the country in David Clifford. This is Kerry's to throw away. This is Kerry's to lose. And Kerry would have to play particularly poorly and subpar to give Cork a chance in the semi-final. Okay, well, basically, what I'm hearing there is we needed to piss rain and we need for <laughs> David Clifford Back. to maybe get lost on the way to Cork on Saturday evening. We won't wish an injury on him because that's not what we do here. But I wouldn't be too upset if he did manage to get lost or stuck in traffic or maybe someone changes the locks on his house and he can't get out in time. But, Ger, let's turn to the more serious stuff then and hear your chat with the 42.ie's Fintan O'Toole. Now, we're delighted on the Southern Star podcast to be joined this week by the GAA editor of the 42.ie GA website and author of the brilliant David and John Myler's Myler, a family memoir book published by Hero Books, and that's Fintan O'Toole, to preview the Munster semi-final between Cork and Kerry. Fintan, you're very welcome to the Southern Star podcast. How are you? Thanks, Watcher. I'm doing well in yourself. Not too bad. It's a busy time for uh, everybody in, in our profession at the moment. Uh, game's coming thick and fast, but this particular game taking place in Parky Ring on Saturday night um, in Cork, between Cork and Kerry, uh, the winners, for the winners of place in the Munster final. Would you agree with me that it has been overshadowed by the whole venue debate and the build-up to it? I mean, obviously, there's always a lot of talk about Cork and Kerry, but in this particular instance, the whole venue debacle and the fact that it's now on in Parky Ring, has it taken away from it and has it dominated the headlines? Absolutely. There's, there's no doubt about it. It's dominated the headlines. Um, I actually wonder if, if it hadn't happened, I think it would have been quite a low-key build-up because the nature of the rivalry has been diluted so much. And you think about last year's once a final 22 points separating the teams, you're coming off the back of Cork. It's narrowly escaping Division 2 relegation, Kerry winning Division 1 league. So I don't know would it really have kind of caught the imagination to the same extent uh, otherwise. But I suppose it has been a source of debate and something to talk about, I guess. Um Probably unwelcome from both, both camps, in fairness. I think both sets of players, Cork Kerry, just the simple, the uncertainty of it. So I'd say they were kind of glad to get a bit of clarity. Uh, I think it was last Monday week now that uh, it was officially announced by the Munster Council that it would take place in Parker. And the whole two and a throwing, I mean, there's a wider debate, I guess. You know, we've seen this as well with the Munster Rugby game on Saturday about stadia being used for other events. And I suppose players being kind of... Uh, you know, I suppose kind of bystanders in the whole affair. Um, and I suppose losing a home advantage for the thing. Uh, I think there's lessons to be learned at the provincial council level as well. The fact the way it was communicated initially, that seems to be the thing that has kind of irritated Cork. And, you know, I think out of sympathy for both sets of players, I mean, Kerry in a very similar situation to last year's game against Tyrone, where they were kind of unsure about what was going to happen. And while they obviously are big favourites for Saturday, I think it's clear that they did not want to walk over. They did not want to go straight into the Munster final. And, you know, kind of be undercooked for the kind of challenges that you imagine that they're going to have for the summer ahead, given their kind of status um, as one of the favourites. So it definitely has been the big talking point. It's probably not like the, uh, I guess, the Mayo Kildare thing of a couple of years ago, where everyone went down on one side, maybe in Kildare's favour. This one has been a bit, maybe a bit more divisive. Um, but I think for everyone's sake, I think people are glad now that it was finally settled and uh, people can kind of look ahead to, to 6pm throwing on, uh, on Saturday evening. Indeed, they can. And uh, I think that's about enough talk about the venue. I think it's just something we had to address because everyone else has addressed it. But Absolutely, yeah. In the build-up to this match, it's clear, as you, you pointed out there, Kerry are overwhelming favourites for multiple reasons. But more than anything, I suppose, if you've beaten Dublin, Donegal, Monaghan, Armagh and Mayo twice to win a National League Division 1 title and your opponent has barely stayed up just by the skin of their teeth in Division 2, thanks to a last 
gasp defensive effort against Offaly in the final game. Kerry are overwhelming favourites, um, and and that that that's deserved. That's a deserved accolade. No, Jack O'Connor won't want to say it too much, and he'll try and play it all down. But from Cork's point of view, Finton, because Kerry are so much, they're they're everyone's favourites coming into this, and including a lot of people in Cork, by the way. Um, is this a free punch? Is this is this an opportunity? Just to, is the pressure off the Cork players in a sense? Is that what John Cleary would be saying to them this week? Look, this is nobody expects anything from you, so go out and just give it everything you've got, and we'll we'll see where that takes us. Yeah, I see. I, I get the point you're making. I think there's definitely an element to that. Maybe he mightn't be using the word kind of free shot or free punch at it, but they'll be aware that expectations are lowered and that there isn't as maybe as much uh, kind of pressure on them. One of the reasons why I think it's a little bit of a free shot is because they don't have the pressure if they had got relegated. Yes. This would be the game which would determine whether they're going to be in the Talton Cup or Ireland qualifiers. They know regardless of the results, they are going to compete at some stage in the All-Ireland Series this year. Obviously, if they win... They're into once the final and have a chance of getting into the all in quarters. If they lose, they're going to be playing at a higher level. I mean, we've already seen this week, for example, Down, who lost, obviously, Cook Corp in the 2010 all in the final, kind of how far that they've slipped. And a couple of their players saying after they lost to Monaghan last week that they just don't see much interest in this. Um, you know, it's a hard sell for the GA to try and get the Talton Cup right. So, from Cork's point of view, I think the main mission I think for the year uh, with a new management team and everything like that was to stay up in Division 2 they managed to achieve that um, earlier today it was actually at the Cork Media briefing that they had uh, on like one of the I don't know it was either John Keir or Des Galan, I can't remember which one of them made the point but they're basically just talking about the teams that Cork lost earlier in Division 2 this season if you look at what they've done since then it is interesting Galway have knocked out Mayo and Derry obviously have knocked out Tyrone so they were obviously beaten by teams of uh, of a pretty high calibre and Cork did what they had to do then in the last couple of games. Uh, so definitely like the pressure is off. You know, Carrier talked about like their favourites win the All Ireland. Um I think that position has probably hardened over the spring given the way they've won the league. Jack O'Connor's back in tow, obviously a guy of great experience, Paddy Talley, such a successful coach. Um and like the way the players are I suppose the way their squad is going, you know, they, they haven't had many changes from last year. It's been kind of a continuation to try and do a couple of tweaks, whereas there's definitely a sense of Cork even from the July game last year, just a huge amount of transition. I mean, the stat that jumped out for me was that they had 15 debutants throughout the league. Mm. Um, not all of them will be involved this week because for, for different reasons, but there's definitely going to be probably three to four championship debutants on the Cork side where I wouldn't expect any uh, debutants on the Kerry side. I think given that Dan O'Donoghue um, looks like he's out injured, he probably would have been the front runner of the newcomers. So there is that, I suppose, balance between kind of experience um, and youth and maybe just the team kind of finding their way from Cork sense. So yeah, I, I think there's maybe a little bit of pressure off in that sense. How much does Keith Riggins' absence affect this Cork team or does it affect them at all? I know John has been there in the backroom team. John Cleary have been with this this set of Cork players, as you mentioned. It's a transitional period for Cork. They had 30 players. He was by the, by the third game in the National League this year. But Riggins' absence, not being in the dressing room, not being on the sideline, not doing the managerial one-to-ones and the things that he's really good at, which is motivational. Um, is that going to be a factor? Um, I don't think it will be because they've had a couple of games to get used to it. You know, I think if it happened in between the league and championship, there might be a little bit of uncertainty. But, you know, I suppose it's not like, uh, you know, various uh, managerial departures, which are, you know, in the history of the GA, sometimes mid-season ones, you know, I don't know, I'm thinking of Offaly Hurlers 98, for example, that happens in kind of dramatic, controversial circumstances and a newcomer comes in. I mean, this was a case of the existing management team just basically assumed the role um, obviously it was very, very you know, Keith Regan has had a tough time off the pitch um, and it was good to hear John Cleary talking today that he has been around the group for a couple of occasions since and he has been present for a couple of sessions so you never know he might have 
I'm not sure he's even talking to them or, you know, I think there is some kind of a link and a connection there. At least everyone's had the two games to kind of get used to it, you know, in the down and off league game. And then they've had a five or six week break. So, you know, it's, I think there's been plenty of time since it's happened for everyone to kind of adjust to the, the kind of new reality. And the fact that it's people they've been working with all year, you know, you hear that James Lockery is kind of looking, maybe kind of specialised in the defensive coaching, Michal O'Cronin with forwards, then you break in, Dead Scalan, Barry Corkery, John obviously is the figurehead. Still a lot of experience there, still a lot of guys who know Cork football inside out, guys who've been involved in the county game in various roles. So I kind of will be confident enough that at this stage they've managed to put that maybe kind of uncertainty and uh, maybe disruption, I guess, to, to one side. They've had enough time to maybe to figure it out and, and look ahead to Saturday night. Indeed, and this is, as you said, this is an extremely uh, talented Kerry team. It's also very quite an experienced team, but I mean, the name that leaps out on everyone's tongue coming into it is David Clifford. He, he kicked 5.28 in the National League, 5.22 from open play. Now, I know Cork will have come up with some sort of a plan either to curb, well, to try to curb uh, his influence, but also probably try and curb or try and stop the ball that goes into him. If he gets quality ball, as you've seen, Fintan. He's absolutely, at, and so, at some stage of the National League, he was unmarkable. Now, when he's playing well or if he's being double marked, that opens up the space for the other carry forwards, which they've managed and, and exploited very, very well, especially against Mayo in the National in the National League final. If you're the Cork management setup, I mean, do you go, do you, you obviously try and man mark this guy, but how do you cope then with the space that's created if you've got extra players looking after him? That is the challenge. And in fairness to them, they they did quite successfully looking after him last year. Um quite remarkable or maybe kind of frightening from Cork's point of view. They conceded 4.22, but he didn't score from play in the months of final. Now, the problem with that is that the guy who did such a successful on a marketing job on him, Sean Meehan, is out for the season. And like Sean Meehan was exceptional in that game on what was a very kind of tough day for Cork football throughout. Um, probably one of the biggest reasons he got an all-star nomination on the back of it. It was a superb man marketing job, but they have held him actually okay, I think, over the last couple of years, if you look at it. 2019 and Munster final and 2020, I think it was actually Kevin Flahov took him up. He obviously missed a good couple of chances that normally a guy that's prolific as him um, would score in that 2020 game in Porky Cueve. But look, he his game has gone from strength to strength. I think he's the best footballer in the country. Um, probably a fond memories of this venue. I was looking at it like the last time I think he played there was the 2017 minor semi-final against Cork and he got 2-8 in that game uh, in, in Porky Rain. And then, as you said, the issue is ultimately that while he commands all the attention, the kind of headlines, I'd argue Sean O'Shea is as important to this Kerry team, and he's shown that a couple of times. Well, again, he's a two-time winning All-Star, and he has shown signs, I think, from the very start this year. You can go back to the McGarrick Cup final in Killarney, how hungry and sharp he is for action this season. You know, you've Paddy Clifford as well. He's come into it. Um, you know, Tony Brosnan will kind of take watching um, Adrian Spillans and Darren Moynihan's kind of fill a very, very important job from week forward. So I think Clifford is definitely Kerry's single most important player. You saw what happened when he went off injured last year's all semi final. But there's enough other firepower there that, uh, that Cork are going to have to take note of on Saturday night. Indeed. And that's the issue. I mean, as we've said, you've outlined there very, very succinctly just the, the different threats that this Kerry team possess up forward. But even at the back, as well, that half back line has been extremely um, effective for them this year. So, as, and I go, again, I go back to the to the Mayo, the two games against Mayo: Gavin White, Tyke Morley, and Brian O'Bugluck. I mean, there's an awful lot of 
uh, most a lot of carry attacks emanate from that area of the pitch. It's just an in around the half hour line. And it's the accuracy of their kick passing and it's the swiftness of their ability to move the ball from defence into attack, which is a hallmark of Kerry football. But especially this year, Fintan, the way that Kerry can move and, and hurt you in a couple of seconds is as good as any team in the country, Dublin, even at their pomp. It's one of the main reasons I believe they're, they are the favourites, not just because they have the scoring threat, but they have the ability to score from so many different areas. I mean, if you're Cork, irrespective of who you pick, do you go ultra defensive or do you go man to man? Or is, is there is there is there really any right way to go about this when, when you're heading into it if you're John Cleary and the management team? Um, do you stick to what you did last year and the year before, as you mentioned, when Cork have had success with stopping David Clifford, but then losing out and all those other players? Like I, I worry if I'm the Cork manager management team, I worry about that half back line coming up the pitch and making those incisions into the what probably will be a mass defense in the 45. They've done it against much better defenses. And I just wonder what can Cork what can Cork do to combat that? They'll probably have to try and marry a bit of an approach. I'm not sure going ultra defensive would suit them because there's been instances Cork football have done that in the past, and I just I don't really know does it quite work for them. Um they also have to be kind of mindful that they do actually have a good couple of forwards themselves that they will hope to, to kind of do damage. But you're right in terms of the threat from the half back line. Cork have seen that. I mean, 2019 Munster final, it was Tom O'Sullivan got the goal. Last year's Munster final, Brina Bilgleik got a goal. Uh, I don't think Gavin White has scored a goal against Cork in Championship. He wouldn't be surprised to see him do it on Sunday. I mean, I was at the first round league game against Kildare this year, Kerry Kildare, and he was absolutely exceptional the first 25 minutes. And then obviously he went off injured and was out for a bit of the league. And that robbed Kerry of one of kind of their most threatening aspects. But it's kind of just a matter of kind of organization, communication, that those runs will be tracked and that they don't have the huge amount of space. Um, and Cork have actually shown that in the past I go back to the 2020 game they actually did a very very good job in that game uh, against Gavin White in terms of kind of stopping his attacking threat and then another occasion Bill went through and Michal Martin made a really really good save but it is interesting that they have three kind of free scoring defenders if you want to say that in White Bill uh, Gleick and O'Sullivan so definitely it's in terms of the organisation and just the tracking of runners that will be something they will I'm sure they are very mindful of and something they will have to tackle on Saturday and just from Cork's point of view, Stephen Sherlock was one of the few positives come out of it, one of the third highest scorer in this year's National League grant in, in all the National Leagues, granted it was in division it was in division two. But the St. Finbar's man like, came in late enough. He didn't come in at the very start of the National League, but his ability from freeze and his ability to win freeze, I think in what could well be a difficult day for the Cork forwards, and maybe they won't get the normal amount of possession that they're used to. Somebody like Sherlock and with so many young runners around him, I mean, to me, that's the best way to go. You've got to hit the forward line if Brian Hardy's in there, if he's in there, hit them as early as you possibly can and look to get those scores or even look to try and win as many frees as you can. How impressed have you been with Sherlock? Uh, you would have seen a lot of him for the Byers and winning, uh, winning the county with Cork and after what happened afterwards. But transferring on to Intercounty, he's finally bringing that club form out to the Intercounty scene. Hugely impressive. Um, we're speaking today. He actually was announced today as a part of the AIB GA Club Team of the Year. Um, and that form, since that campaign ended, as you say, has been transferred on. He came in first for the round three game against Derry, but I suppose it's important to kind of reflect on his journey in terms of let go from the panel uh, in the spring of 2020, uh, just before the pandemic, um, and there was a lockdown kicked in, and obviously the GA calendar was disrupted so much. I think he's changed a bit as a footballer in terms of he's not so much your old traditional corner forward station close to goal anymore. I think his angles of running have really, really improved. Um, you see that he's very, very good. I suppose he showed this with the bars and he's kind of transferred onto Cork as well, taking these balls on the loop 
um, you know, making a couple of runs. And if he doesn't get if it doesn't get picked up that time, he's able to go for the third run. And then he's obviously been unbelievably accurate. His free taking has been superb from hand. He's also able to kick big frees off the ground as well, in fairness to him. Uh, kicked a big one against Down in Porky Creeve in this last second last league game. And that's a very important thing for Cork in terms of having kind of someone reliable in that regard. And in fairness, that, that is one area where I think they've got right in terms of the put forward in makeup. Conlon Manny come back from injury. Thought at times he gets awfully worked very well, keeping him and Brian Hurley kind of up top. I mean, there was one point in the first half where Sherlock came all the way back to his half back line, got the ball. The whole thing opened up for him. He managed to carry, carry it about 40 yards. And then when the off-league defence did approach, even though he was 45 yards out, he managed to kick the point. So looks really, really accurate, really, really sharp. And I imagine confidence is high. Um, and that is a big boost for Cork that they've managed to get a guy who obviously was very, very talented. Um, as an underage footballer, came to the fore, had a previous goal at senior. It didn't work out, but you'd have to admire his attitude, you know, wouldn't you, in terms of how he's coming back, being the absolute star for his club, St. Finbars, and that he's managed to transfer that onto the onto the county stage. Um, and that for forward line, you Cork will hope that they're all in good form. Uh, I guess the hope would be that Cork will be able, of course, my view, that they'll be able to service them on uh, on Saturday night and get and get enough ball into them um, and see what they can do. Indeed, let's uh, from a Cork point of view, let's hope that's the case. Finally, Fintan, um, I'm going to ask for your prediction. I mean, I'm I'm assuming it's going to be a Kerry win myself, but uh, if Kerry do win, what's a realistic, what's a realistic target for Cork in this? Because the, the chances of them winning will be a huge upset, big, bigger than the last time they um, and that marking go down in a wet and empty parky cueve. But realistically, Kerry are favourites and merited favourites on the from the reasons that you've outlined. Uh, I assume you're expecting Kerry will come out of the out of park game with a victory. Yeah, I think you have to be realistic about this when you're comparing the the two teams. And there obviously probably is an element of Kerry being forewarned by what happened in 2020. I definitely thought last year's Muslim final was a performance where they kind of played with a bit of a temper and wanted to actually, you know, put this issue kind of beyond doubt on the scoreboard in terms of kind of really inflicting a beating on Cork. Um, Definitely the signs have improved for Cork a bit towards the end of the league, but I think we've seen that the gap between Division 1 and Division 2, um, okay, I know that, sorry, I suppose the teams at the top end of Division 2, Galway and Derry have claimed big wins, but there is a there is a big gap there. Kerry looking very, very good form this year. Um, from Cork's point of view, I, I think that if they are to lose, it just will be to kind of avoid the type of hammering that would make it quite difficult to recover from for the next stage in Joel Ireland qualifiers. Uh, you'd be hoping for a competitive start that this game doesn't go away from them early. Um, you'd be hoping that they kind of don't leak goals early on, you know, something that obviously has hit, hit, hit them in the past. And that if they are able to service that full forward line, um, you know, we saw last year in the final, Brian Hurley getting an early goal. You know, with Sherlock and Omani alongside him. So you have a couple of guys there. Just sustaining that challenge will be difficult. It's complicated more by the injury issues to key players like me and there's a doubt over Sean Powder. Obviously a big doubt. Ian McGuire is out. And not expected to play. They were in big trouble in their own kick out last year. That'll be something they need to get right. And it just look, it is a big, big test for kind of a lot of a lot of newcomers. So, I mean, if you were to pick a margin, like if Kerry won by five to ten points, I guess they'd be happy in terms of going to the Munster final. I suppose Cork, maybe that would be a sign of a competitive display. Um, so, you know, like I said, I think the pressure is off to them to an extent. And I think the main objective this year was to preserve their Division Two status, and make sure they're in uh, the All Ireland series. So. Um, We've seen them against Division Two opponents this year. This will be the biggest test they've faced so far. And I guess, you know, if you're using, as a comparison, the Mugat Cup final, I think, was it uh, 12 points between them in January? You can just see how Cork improved in the, the last seven to eight weeks defensively. Players, young players coming in, and obviously the, uh, the confidence maybe from those, uh, those games against Offaly and Town. 
Indeed, it's going to make for fascinating viewing no matter what happens. Um, and that's all taking place in Parkering on Saturday evening, the Munster semi-final between Cork and Kerry. Uh, GA editor of the 42.ag GA website and author of the brilliant book, David and John Moyler's Moyler, a family memoir published by Hero Books, Fintan O'Toole. Thanks very, very much for joining us on this week's Southern Star Sports Podcast. Delighted to be joined by Avril Condell of Access Credit Union, who's here to tell us a little bit about Cultivate Farm Finance. So Avril, maybe just give us a brief introduction to what Cultivate Farm Finance actually is. So Cultivate is a collaboration of 40 credit unions uh, throughout Ireland. Um, West Cork has both Access Credit Union and Bantry Credit Union. Uh, The loan itself is up to 75,000 unsecured uh, for seven years is the max term, but obviously can be uh, personalised and customised to each individual's needs. Um, it's a great facility actually for, for farmers um, because it covers cash flow, um, machinery purchases, like there's a fertiliser crisis now as we know. Um, so literally anything that is required for the farm can be covered by this loan. The, the rate is very competitive and uh, we can match the, the repayment term and the um, repayment frequency to each individual farmer depending on their enterprise. Um, and you also have the benefit of the life cover that comes with the credit union loan, which I think is very important for people these days at no extra cost. And if I'm a farmer and I'm listening to you on this podcast today, how can I get involved? So if you're not sure of which credit union um, you're involved with, you can go to Cultivate Credit Union directly, which is www.cultivate-cu.ie or you can phone 1800-839-999. And if Access is your credit union, you can contact me directly. So it's avril at accesscu.ie or you can ring me on 085-268-2727. Welcome back to the Star Sport Podcast and we're going to switch our attention now to the Beamish Cup Final because Jor was in attendance at the Baltimore Road to see Lyra Rovers versus Clonakilty soccer club on Sunday afternoon and once again Joe you're writing about Sunday's match in this week's Southern Star and I've seen your match report and by the sounds of things this was another thoroughly enjoyable cup final despite the the, the low scores a very competitive game between two sides that were really up for it Indeed it was uh, Jack and two sides I think the reason it was low scoring is because there's a number of factors they know each other so well they had played each other twice in the Premier Division already this season um, and Lyra failed to score uh, from open play and they needed a Shane O'Donovan penalty to get it done last weekend but that, that won't matter to them um, I suppose there's a couple of things to note it's Lyra Rovers' first ever Beamish Cup which is historic in itself because they're a club that are well established in West Cork League for many many years many decades um, and it's I suppose coming out of it having spoken to the the two mentors on the day Willie Griffin and Derek Draper uh, Tom Barry was absent unfortunately the manager um, like the boost it's going to give that club uh, they, have, they, they have they have a fantastic facility. They've built a brand new pitch out there. They cater for a, a lot of different areas where they are in, in, in the rural area that they are. It's not just one area, it's three or four different areas that they cater for for their players. And it's going to be a big a big boost for that club and a big boost as well because they're still in a Premier Division relegation battle. They should get out of that. Um, but the Cup, I think the Beamish Cup has permitted them a chance to, to play without fear, probably play with the shackles off a little bit. They scored five against Kilgobbin, they scored three against Bear on the way to it, and they played exceptionally well in the second half against Riverside in the semi-final when they might have been behind before they got there. So they're a very talented team when they have the strongest team out, and they had 22 players 
talked about on Sunday, which is the biggest they've had in many, many years. Because like with all rural clubs, you're struggling for numbers, as you know, well, Jack in the West Cork League. It's a constant pull with GA and with other sports. But it was good to see a full-strength lawyer team out there. It was good to see a full-strength Clannacill team, more or less, bar Jonathan Lee, he was injured and he was a big loss to them in terms of creativity. But from lawyer's point of view, they had Sean White, uh, the former Cork senior footballer who plays for uh, football for Clannacill as well. He played the full match for lawyer and was a big plus for them. There was talks that he might not miss it because he pulled up in the semi-final win um, over Riverside. It wasn't your typical Beamish Cup final in that it was tight, it was tense. Defences were certainly on top, uh, if you pardon the cliché, but I think in, in the match report as well, I've earmarked um, Ethan Draper, Mike Yahan, Conor McCarthy and Shane Collins. Shane Collins got man of the match. They were the back four for a lawyer team. They were up, you know, they're up against a fairly decent forward line uh, in Clannacilty with Chris Collins and with Ian O'Driscoll who've been scoring, Ian's been scoring for fun this season. And they did a fantastic job. They just shut them down. They shut them down from the opening minutes. And if you've got a player of the calibre of Garod Barry, that's somebody I keep talking about in centre midfield, and alongside him, Kevin Cahan, I have to give him a mention as well, they gave such protection to that back four, it was going to take something ultra special for Clannacilty or whoever was playing lawyer in the cup final to get through that. Unfortunately for Clannacilty and uh, their manager, John Lee, was very honest in his assessment after the final, they didn't perform up to standard. They really didn't. I've seen Clann play much, much better this year in the league and the cup. And, you know, it's hard to put your finger on it. The weather was horrible. Um, there was a big crow there. It was, a, it was a good atmosphere, but they just never got going into the rhythm that I've seen. And when they get into the rhythm, Clannacilty, as they did in the semi-final, remember, they had to beat Dunmanway, who had beaten them in the two previous finals. So that was a big moment for them. But maybe it took a bit more out of them now. In retrospect, when you look back on it, it took such an effort to beat Dunmanway to get into the final. But to lose three in a row is gut-wrenching, no matter who you are. Um, but they had no complaints. They didn't play to their potential on the day. And I think a lot of that was down to a combination of possible tiredness, uh, the lack of creativity like from free kicks and corners when you're missing somebody like Johnny Lee. He, was, he's got, he's, he set up two goals in the semi-final and was brilliant throughout. He was a big loss. But I think to be fair, Lawyer Rovers didn't allow them this, the time and space to do what they normally do to teams. And that goes down to the two midfielders and the general work rate of Gerard Barry and Kevin Cahan in around that middle of the pitch. And when they got their chance, and it was one of the few chances that they got in the game, it was a penalty. By God, the Shane O'Donovan, he stuck it away fantastically. Beat Seamus O'Brien, which, you know, he had to, into the bottom corner. It had to be inch perfect, and it was. And after that, after they scored, like for much of the second half, like I wouldn't say Lawyer were comfortable all the way through, but they were they were persistent and they were dominant in the areas of the pitch that Clan normally are. And that was the big, I think that was the really the big thing about it. Look, it's Beamish Cup final day. All sorts of things can happen. It's been in Turner's Cross above in Cork for the past two years. It was good to see it though back in West Cork again. There was a big crowd there, as I said, and I think that added to the occasion. Um, and while it didn't have the goal mouth action that you'd normally you know, associate with a cup final, there's been some really cracking cup finals in terms of tension, in terms of in shape and just in and the quality of football too. Both teams try to get the ball down as often as they can. They don't do kick and rush. They're worth watching maybe get a chance to see them. And it was a quality cup final from that in that regard, even though it didn't have the it didn't necessarily have the um the goals that you were hoping for. The other thing I'd mention as well, Jack, is the fact two fantastic goalkeepers, Seamus O'Brien and, and Sean Ryan, who's a really, really good goalkeeper. I've spoken about him before, written about him before for Lawyer. Um look Fantastic for Lawyer, a big boost. Good to see a different name on the Beamish Cup, a name for the first time. They put a huge amount of effort in underage as well. They have a fantastic setup there. They're 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 developing their their facilities. They're on the they're they're progressing off the pitch the way you like to see a club progress in West Cork. And you know it's fantastic that they had the Beamish Cup now to show for their efforts. They still have a relegation battle to start up, but I think they're going to survive that. And then on the on the flip side of that, just 
look, utter heartbreak for Clannacilty. Losing one Beamish Cup final is is a horrible feeling. Um, but losing three in a row, you know, is really tough. But they are very, very much in the Premier Division title race. They have five games in hand. Andrina Rangers at the top. Dunmanway were held at the weekend, which was a big result as well. If Clonakilty win their games, the remaining games, they will win the Premier Division. And that would also be amazingly, I didn't realise this until the start of the year, and I've played for both clubs, Clan and Lawyer. Clonakilty have never won the Premier Division title, the top title, and they are going, you know, nearly 100 years like at the stage, something like that. And that is, I know it's something that John Lee, the manager, really wants. I know it's something the players are really focused on now. I think they'll get over the disappointment of it. They have a tough game this weekend away to Mizzen. Um, if they can get the three points from that, I think it'll galvanise the squad again and they'll go again. But in terms of a cup final and Beamish Cup finals, I've been to cup finals that there was a lot more goals and going both action. But for sure, I suppose, drama. And, and if you appreciate the art of defending, and I'm one of the few people probably left in the world, Jack, that does that. Um, it was two really good back fours, two goalkeepers as well. Uh, a really tense, tight cup final. And like when the only goal is, is, is from a penalty, I think that tells you all about the quality of the two teams. But delighted for Lawyer, delighted for the people behind the scenes and delighted for the players that they've got in their hands on a Beamish Cup for the first time. And uh, this is not the last time we've seen Clan in the Beamish Cup. Who knows? Maybe they'll, they'll bounce back next year and reach a fourth final, which would be a fantastic achievement in itself. But all eyes now on the Premier Division title for them over the coming weeks. Great stuff. Well, as I mentioned, Jur is writing about the Beamish Cup final in Thursday, Southern Star. We have a full page, so if you're a Liar Rovers fan or member, this is the paper for you. And we've got some absolutely brilliant photos from Paddy Feen as well. So for Liar Rovers supporters, ex-players, current players, family members, this week's Southern Star is a collector's edition. I'm even going to give you a sneak peek. It's on the front page of sport Ooh. as well. The front page picture is a Liar Rovers picture. So I'll leave you with that tease and hopefully you'll all go out and by this Thursday's Southern start. But Joe, before we wrap up, there's one more big story from the weekend that we have to touch on. And it's not strictly West Cork, but we're going to speak about it anyway. And you're also writing about this particular story in Thursday's last word column. And it is, of course, Katie Taylor's thrilling victory over Amanda Serrano at Madison Square Garden in the early hours of Sunday morning. I know you're a boxing fan. I'm a huge boxing fan as well. And I've been lucky enough to go to a Katie Taylor fight uh, before I went to see her when she fought in Manchester, where she was billed as the co-main event, but she was by far the main event that night. The atmosphere was electric. I was lucky enough to be at Michael Condon's recent loss to Lee Wood in the Nottingham Arena, where again, the atmosphere was absolutely electric. And I was at those in person. But even watching on television or on my iPad, as it was on early hours of Saturday morning, I could feel the atmosphere from Madison Square Garden. It felt like it was jolting through my earphones and out of the screen. It was absolutely incredible. I've never experienced so much FOMO, which for the older listeners out there is fear (laughs) of missing out. I was so incredibly jealous of what went on. And I was so incredibly proud to be an Irish boxing fan by watching Katie Taylor shut her stuff and do her thing once more. And on the biggest stage, any woman boxer or to some degree, any Irish boxer. No, I can't think of many Irish boxers who've had a night like that, especially there have been boxers, of course, who fought in Madison Square Garden down through the years. But as the the big show, the main event, Katie Taylor, she has literally reached the pinnacle of all of boxing. And 
Peter, that's sort of what you're writing about in your column this week. But before you kind of give us your the gist of your column, what were your own experiences watching Katie in action the other night? Because I just I love hearing people talking about the emotions she elicits. So give us give us give us your tales, Stuart. Well, I, I suppose the big takeaway at that hour of the morning, it was nearly four o'clock in the morning and I was on my iPhone watching it. Um, I suppose the big first takeaway is that my wife and children stopped talking to me for most of the following day because I woke everybody because I started screaming during the fifth round when uh, Taylor was seriously in trouble. She took an absolute hammering in that fifth round. It wasn't pretty. And I have no idea how she stayed up on her feet. That, that, testament to her fortitude and to her training and to her conditioning, which has been questioned in her previous fights when she has slowed in later, later on but come back. Look, I think she's a once-in-a-generation fighter. That's pretty obvious. You don't hold the WBA, WBC, IBF, and WBO light heavyweight titles um, as you as an undisputed champion unless you are an, an above above par above the rest of the field boxer. You are a once-in-a-lifetime. Once-in-a-generation is totally the right phrase. It literally is that. Yes, it is, and like the fact that she's Irish just adds to it. And I think the fact from, like it's, as you said, look, without getting into it, Jack, we could do a whole podcast on why Irish boxing, the the negativity surrounding Irish boxing for all the front page headlines in the last couple of weeks and months for various and unfortunate reasons. Isn't it great that we have a boxing and an Irish boxing story to be proud of that goes around the world? Look at the front pages of the newspapers on Monday morning. Every Irish newspaper had Katie Taylor front and centre as an absolute icon of our sport and an icon, a sporting icon for her country. And the thing that I, I suppose the emotion, like I'm a parent and I find it hard sometimes, I, I level with you, when I see uh, women boxing um, and the pummeling that, they're fa- that they take, and it's the same for MMA and UFC, when I watch women fighting inside in cages and the blood that's spilled, it's difficult for me sometimes because I have a daughter and I find it difficult. I'm being honest with you here now. But here's the thing. Women have every right to walk into a, a UFC cage and earn a living, and women have every right to walk into a boxing ring and earn the same living that men do. And what Katie Taylor has And a bigger living what, if you're Katie Taylor. Absolutely. And like, here, here's the thing. Like, it, it wasn't just Madison Square Garden, Jack. It was the centre of Madison Square Garden. Inside Madison Square Garden, for people who don't know, there's loads of different mini arenas and the Hulu was one of them. And that was one of the places which got about 5,000 max. They were talking about taking this, but Eddie Hearn said, no, we're going to sell out the main one and we're going to sell it out on merit as the two best pound for pound female boxers in the, on the planet right now. There might be a bit of debate about that, but right now in their respective weights. And not long did they do that. Not long did they sell it out, but they delivered. It would have been so easy for two people like that. For, don't forget they're just human beings, Serrano, and and uh, and what a fighter Serrano is. And Taylor, you know, to freeze on the night, like with the, with the emotion and the absolute atmosphere. I think what helped, Jack, is the fact that the Irish and the Puerto Ricans get on. Well, the Irish get on with anyone. But like the fact that they got on so well, the, the atmosphere and the walk-ins and the slow walk-in that Katie Taylor took. She took her time to take it all in. That If I'm standing in the ring and I see Katie Taylor with that stare, walking slowly, like, okay, I know I'm in trouble and I have to bring my A game. But they both did. They both delivered and they both delivered a boat for the ages. And you can be very careful that you overhype it because it was two women involved. And it's something that I've alluded to about equality in my, in my last word column this week. It's very important to remember that it's all about equality. We shouldn't be praising Katie Taylor and Serrano, Amanda Serrano for doing great because they're girls, which is the kind of crap that you'll have to listen to for want of a stronger term. We should be praising them for being two boxers who sold out the most important arena and boxing mecca in the world and delivered a fight for the ages. It was outstanding from bell to bell. I wasn't as confident 
at the final bell that she had won it in the margin that she did. And I said, she, I said, Taylor, so I'm glad that she did. And I think they should do it again. When they do it again is the question mark. It's another day for another podcast. But look, we should, we should cherish these moments, Jack. We should cherish the moments at four, three, four o'clock in the morning when we're screaming and shouting and waking the rest of the house for an Irish boxer. We should because they don't come around that often. What a talent. What a humble, don't earth person Katie Taylor is. And isn't it just, I, I just, I'm just proud that she's Irish because she makes me feel proud, especially for a sport like you and I that love boxing and have watched it for, I've watched it for 30 years and I love it and I love watching it. And it's just, I'm trying to stay positive about the whole thing because having an Irish boxer at the pinnacle of her career at the very top is an undisputed champion and pound for pound, one of the best boxers, male or female in the world is, is something that we should cherish because it doesn't come around that often. It really doesn't. And uh, Katie Taylor, like we love her forever. There'll never be another like her, but just to like demonstrate the power of Katie in a slightly more localized way. I was heavily involved with the boxing club in Skibbereen Island River Boxing Club for a number of years. Unfortunately, it's no longer with us. It fell to the pandemic, but it will be revived eventually, hopefully. But when you walk into any boxing club in Ireland, and I've been to many, there's always paintings on the wall. It's Michael Carruth, it's Bernard Dunn, it's Muhammad Ali. In many cases, it's Mike Tyson. They do murals on all the walls. And when Colm O'Regan, who ran the boxing club in Kilkenny, was talking to me about what mural he was going to get painted, there was only one. There was only one because he was catering to both girls and boys in that boxing club. But like, you didn't need to get a boy boxer on the wall as well as a girl boxer. In Ireland, you only need Katie Taylor and no one ever complained and said, why is there a a girl on the wall? Why isn't there like um, Michael Conlon? Because Katie Taylor is the greatest and everyone knows it. She is an inspiration to old, young, black, white, green, purple, cross-generational. She's she's unbelievable. I love Katie Taylor. I love Irish boxing. Joe McCarthy has wrote a brilliant column about Katie in this Thursday Southern Star. So pick it up and bask in her glory along with us. A few more things I want to touch on before, because we, we, we we, we'll end up crying, Joe, if we keep talking about <laughs> Katie's impact on us. But a, a few more things just to note in this Thursday Southern Star. We obviously have three pages on the Cork Kerry game. We've got two pages on Cork's, let's be frank, dismal display against Clare in the Munster Hurling Championship. We've got road bowling. We've got athletics. We've got two great interviews. Jura's done from the West Cork Sports Star Awards with Jules Star, Millie Condon and Avril Condell, the captain of the treble winning Skibbereen women's rugby team. So all that and more in this Thursday's Southern Star. If you can't make it to a shop, you can always subscribe online. Go to www.southernstar.ie forward slash e-paper and subscribe to the Southern Star on your computer, tablet or smartphone for less than two euro per week. An absolute bargain. Thanks for listening to the Star Sport podcast. If you enjoy these shows, please make sure to rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Slán Tomlip.